Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. Uh, be the what is this guy called forensic now the mortician mortician yeah mortician in the crime show that they go to they's always like cry and it's like oh yeah another dead body yeah like in, uh, <laughs> the, the new york ripper the italian mortician in that one <laughs> it's just like listening to headphones the whole time for yeah. some reason that one's pretty good um what we were talking about just off mic though was the the great art that could heal america <laughs> You know, half the country is just like listening to rap music, just listening to these thugs. <laughs> half the country is rocking out. They're, they're listening listen to these drug addicts. Good home, good, good down home rock music. These smack junkies. By smack junkies. Who, who funnel in teenage girls to their backstage. But, uh, yeah, I think we all know what the healthy compromise is. Limp biscuit, yeah. Yeah. Rap rock. Welcome to Extended Clip. <laughs> Wait, hold on. We need to turn this off. I was going to say. <laughs> We're not going to do an episode of Extended Clip with uh, CSI on in the background. I'm going to turn off the monitor, too. The screen's on. I'll just I'll look at it. So. Yeah. There, there's no look. We're screen junkies here. <laughs> there's one thing about us that you need to know at extended clip is that we're screen junkies and we're about to go on a screen rant. That's that's a fun that's a fun game. Just make up film blog names like film film watcher central. Uh, Watchmoviesnow.com. I've been running this blog. Watchmoviesnow.com. Yeah, I'm actually covering Sundance 2022 for movie 22.net <laughs> one perfect shot and one perfect edit.com i don't know <laughs> i don't know why i thought something such so so vulgar is movie fuck 22 it's such a great idea that i'd want to keep for myself for my own outlaw vulgar movie blog yeah i work for film c and watch.com <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know we're 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 really you know I embracing the consumer report style of film criticism here at Extended Clip, brought to you by CNET.com, <laughs> Movie Junkie in Recovery dot com. <laughs> Screen Fiends. I was gonna say yeah, uh, Movie Methadone Clinic. <laughs> we got you the Movie Methadone dot blogspot dot com. Movies ruined my life dot com. <laughs> All right, I'll all right. Welcome to Extended Clip. It's episode 102, and we're swinging the clubs around today. Our double feature is Tin Cup, the 1996 film by Ron Shelton, and Dead Solid Perfect, the 19 sorry 1988 made for television movie by Bobby Roth. Two movies about Texas golf boys <laughs> who want to win the U.S. Open and the hearts of their lovers. Uh, how, how'd you guys take to these movies? I mean, you know, I was kind of yearning for, I've been watching a lot of sports lately, so I feel like a sports movie, you know, hit the spot and I, I double featured, uh, these both in a day and it's kind of funny how similar they are to each other. A lot yeah. of similar <laughs> plot points, uh, recycled, but all in all the double feature, I, I had a good time, you know what I mean? Maybe, you know, I haven't, I haven't hit the golf course in years, you know, maybe me and JT need to you know, get to your step level. Up our game, yeah, yeah, step up our game, get our swings going. Look, I could teach you a thing or two. Let's do it. Yeah, I really enjoyed this pairing. Like, not really knowing a whole lot about golf beforehand. The most compelling part about 
each was like how it shot the actual golf stuff and i was on board for that um the whole way through tin cup obviously goes far more cinematic there yeah. but i'm just like <laughs> i was holding on to the edge of my seat there oh absolutely the uh the the cinematic portrayal versus the the televisual portrayal is something that i'll definitely get into because it's like the television presentation of sports is an aesthetic that i love as well you know it's not movies but it's an aesthetic that i love watching and i think um both of these movies kind of interact with both of those aesthetics a little bit one much more than the other no i mean there's a lot of golfing in what is it dead dead solid perfect dead solid perfect i'm not going to get that title right once this episode probably <laughs> but i mean i feel like there's a lot more golfing in that one and there's plenty of golfing in, in tin cup too but yeah i don't know like it is seeing some of just like those uh distant shop shots it is just feeling like you're on youtube looking up old golf matches or something like that absolutely yeah especially you know in this videotape quality four three just like when i'm on youtube watching you know old broadcasts from the late 80s into the early 90s that uh that visual rhyme was definitely there but we start with tin cup our a movie by ron shelton a sports movie specialist we're going to talk about Bull Durham in a couple of weeks, which I can't wait to get oh, to. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, but this one, Kevin Costner is Roy Tin Cup McAvoy, a washed-up driving range pro who gives lessons in his wife beater. He hits balls and uh, rolls with his posse, led by his caddy Cheech Marin, and he tries to woo Rene Russo, uh, a psychiatrist who reaches out to him for lessons, away from his rival, and her bozo motherfucker boyfriend, David Sims. Now, this David Sims, <laughs> I got something to say. This David Sims is a bad man. That's all we have to say about that. So Costner, you know, he sets his sights on the U.S. Open after Sims absolutely, like, disgraces him on television right after he kind of showcased his game a little bit it's classic sports movie setup you know you have your big event that you have to train and qualify for you have the friendships that come and go um it's it's really just executed so well <laughs> it's like it's it's just about a, a tortured soul working out you know uh his demons through the love of the game much like shelton's other big classic bull durham and the, the the poetics are there in like every shot, every golf swing, and every ridiculous monologue about the poetics <laughs> of sports. That's that's like kind of Shelton. I mean, I've only seen Durham and this one though, but I feel like that's kind of Shelton's sweet spot, right? He loves yeah. these sports movies, but he's not making uh, I don't know, the Long Shots, directed by Fred Durst. <laughs> he's uh, <laughs> that's the only one, the only sports movie I can think of on short notice. <laughs> uh, uh. But he's like, he likes waxing poetic about the game, and uh, I don't know, he likes people who kind of live on like the outskirts of like their respective sports worlds, and, mm -hmm. and of course, you know, it's mostly this one's about you know, Tin Cup getting back to the pros. But I love all the ups and downs of this movie. I feel like. Like this movie really operates on like a up down basis, like mm -hmm. like a uh, lot lot of mood swings. I mean, Costner, the character himself, is a very moody, emotional guy. I love an emotional sports player. I like a sports player who looks like, you know, they're psychotic because of yeah. sports, and you know that's who Tin Cup is. And like kind of like just the ups and downs, you know, kind of reminds me reminds me of being on the golf course a little bit, you know, although for Absolutely. me, it just would be, you know, down, down, down. Yeah, I mean, but hey, I'm still <laughs> I'm still at that level, too. But uh, 
I, I yeah, I, I think it kind of has this episodic nature where what you say up and down kind of relates to the general structure of this, despite it having that sports movie structure. It also is very episodic, despite that gradual build toward the third act. It has a lot of ups and downs in the process and it's kind of a lengthy movie it's like two hours and 15 minutes and it kind of breezes by because of that episodic feeling in my opinion um but yeah what do you think about this one jt yeah i really uh got onto this like right away i think that like i was gonna say it's a really like tight script but i mean it not particularly it goes pretty long in that respect but the specificity of character is there right from the beginning and location and just like I was having a blast hooting and hollering like the moment a freaking feminist walks into this golf course. Uh, it's like, what's going on here? Isn't that in Bull Durham too? Like there's some sort of like Sarandon, there's yeah. like some sort of like feminist angle. I don't know. That's very... That's I don't, just funny, I guess. Just both movies just cost... <laughs> no, ma'am, I ain't no feminist, but I love women. You know? <laughs> so, something along those lines in each movie. And it was just like, I don't know, such a fun... Like, Costner, like, in this role oh, yeah. is just eating it up yeah. and just, like, pairing him against Don Johnson. It's, like, it's perfect. That yeah. is fantastic to watch yeah i mean it almost has like a western setup between them two and the the opening credits play into that as you just have these desolate empty desert shots and uh this driving range that tin cup uh the character he is referred to as tin cup so i will call him such uh that that tin cup runs and it's all at magic hour and it's just like a really beautiful assemblage of shots over the opening credits before the doctor is a woman riddle uh, is <laughs> prompted for Rene Russo to walk into the club. And yeah, I mean, the, the chemistry with Russo is there right away. It's, it's funny to compare that to something like Bull Durham where Susan Sarandon's role is quite literally like the sexualization of her role is like the epitome of it. Like she, she blesses minor league ball players with her pussy and <laughs> you know, they, they grow and become great ball players. This is kind of the opposite where she is a, a feminist and a, uh, a, a psychiatrist who is there to pick the brain more than uh, just, you know, serve up the pleasure, if you will pick the uh, brain rather than give the brain. Exactly. <laughs> and if you worry that I'm reducing Sarandon's role in, Bull Durham. Wait a couple weeks. We'll talk about it. One of the great <laughs> characters in cinema. Like both of these movies, both of these movies kind of both remind me of kind of like a recurring motif in like Eastbound and Down that I feel like Eastbound and Down's kind of parroting a little bit, but I don't mind it here in Tin Cup because the movie's so fun and lax. But it's like all these movies come down. It's like you just need a good solid woman. Yeah. To, to <laughs> and then all those those anxieties you have about you know fucking up your swing shanking it it's all gonna go away because you're gonna go look <laughs> at your girl and she's gonna give you confidence and you're gonna make the swing that you need to make and uh <laughs> i i mean i don't i just it's I, neither good or bad it's just uh, kind of funny i guess yeah i mean hey look, <laughs> as we'll find out more in the b movie golf you know it's a very conservative game <laughs> he he's introduced or reintroduced rather to his rival played by don johnson uh david sims uh <laughs> God, I'm never going to get tired of that. Uh, rival David Sims re reappears here and, you know, tries to get him to be his caddy in this tournament. And it's like, what the fuck, man? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a great ball player in my own right. But he agrees to it because he needs money. 
And it's it's such a great just like first act set piece that takes up like 20 minutes, this tournament where he's caddying and then he off of a bet hits a shot that Don Johnson was too pussy to try and you know everyone's going crazy and Don Johnson fires him because of it and Phil Mickelson is there and he's yucking it up you know uh it's it's a really a really funny like uh set piece that then is later revealed uh as kind of like the I don't know I I guess at that point you you put two and two together that Don Johnson is, or David Sims is like purposely torturing Kevin Costner's character by having his girlfriend still, you know, take lessons from him after he hired and fired him and everything. No, yeah, Don Johnson is a good villain here. I mean, for the reasons you listed too, it's like it's yeah. It's, and he hosts this, this yeah. terrible film podcast. <laughs> <laughs> his biggest crime. Um, but I guess that's what you do after you lo- lose the the U.S. Open or whatever. Yeah. Um, but. Johnson just looks so like so fucking annoying with his like infinity visor and his green <laughs> polo. Like he's he's like the perfect like golf dipshit guy. Like yeah. you you love to hate. And it it is a uh, I feel like Johnson towards the back end of his career gets a lot of like maybe especially in the 90s gets a lot of these villain roles. And this one is kind of interesting because he's not even he doesn't even really seem that involved. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he does like he doesn't even seem to care that like he obviously he has a vested interest in Costner losing but it's like most you'd see more villains like seething and this guy doesn't see if he's just the ultimate prick I mean Tin Cup kind of is like is sabotaging himself for True. the most part mm-hmm. and I love that his journey is sort of that like delicate balance of finding like just macho bravado versus like playing it straight and like being a little more conservative and safe I like the uh, in the beginning his kind of escapades with Cheech Marin. You know he has to pawn his clubs and then to get them back, uh, beat some gambler with a set of like gardening tools or something like that. Like a very very goofy set piece. And uh, well, you, I mean, yeah, just he, like him hanging out drinking milk and doing puzzles with Cheech Marin all night <laughs> is just so funny to me. Well, when they hit up uh, Tin Cup's ex girlfriend, that's like a, a wealthy like mm-hmm. stripper as well. I think there's there's so much of this that's like fun and goofy they fill out like all the odds and ends that aren't like explicitly golf stuff with a lot of like i don't know good times great vibes and i think shelton directs this very well too because it has a style that doesn't call all that much attention to itself other than in the beauty that it very plainly presents there's some shots of like some very affected skies and stuff like that that are pretty gorgeous uh but for the most part it's like it's kind of like how we talked about Cider House Rules. It has that kind of like <laughs> expensive looking cinematography, despite the fact that this obviously isn't as expensive of a movie. Uh, it, it, yeah. Hey, maybe it is. Say, maybe it know. is in terms of sports rights stuff. You never know. True. Uh, Mickelson appearance, you know, cost I mean, heavy. Yeah. Ni- 96 <laughs> Mickelson appearance wasn't as, as sought out, you know. But uh, <laughs> uh, old lefty, he shows up and we're happy to see him. Uh, but regardless... <laughs> It, it has this kind of lush quality to it, especially when you're on these really well-kept golf courses, and then compare that to the downtrodden uh, driving range that Tin Cup runs. Shelton shoots that either at night really romantically or like at magic hour, and it's always just really beautiful to kind of hide the, the garishness of it that is shown in that very desolate opening. No, I that with the first scene, the first scene that Rene Russo appears in, like 
it's very very savvy way where I, I almost thought like at the beginning i thought it was like sunrise i thought it was morning time you know what mm-hmm. i mean and then but you know you realize it's golden hour like he shoots it uh the first half of that scene in golden hour and then the second half in like pitch black and yeah it's just a just savvy filmic absolutely <laughs> i mean what is the what is the golf swing by roy mcavoy well i tend to think of the golf swing as a poem oh he's doing that portrait thing again critical opening phrase of this poem will always be the grip which the hands unite to form a single unit by the simple overlap of the little finger right. and lowly and slowly the club head is led back pulled into position not by the hands but by the body which turns away from the target shifting weight to the right side without shifting balance tempo is everything perfection unattainable as the body coils now to the top of the swing there's a slight hesitation a little nod to the gods a, a nod to the gods. Yeah, to the gods. That he is fallible. That perfection is unattainable. And now the weight begins shifting back to the left, pulled by the powers inside the earth. It's alive, this swing, a living sculpture. And down through contact, always down, striking the ball crisply with character. A tuning fork goes off in your heart, your balls. Such a pure feeling as the well-struck golf shot. So basically, I, I, as we said, you know, he has to qualify for a tournament, qualify for another one to get to the U.S. Open, etc. Uh, the fun in games keep going. And I, I think it's it's a really just like funny movie kind of throughout. Johnson and Costner will have these little one-on-one spats leading up to the finale, uh, like at the Open uh, they ha- they have this dick measuring contest, or they have two <laughs> solo dick measuring contests. One is just like who can hit it further with the club. You know, Costner smashes it. Don Johnson just hits it onto the street to get the uh, the pavement bounce, like a little douchebag that he is. You know, <laughs> the cowards win. Yeah, and then the the uh, the other pissing contest they have is this trick shot that Costner hits from like inside of a bar. Uh, you know, to to hit this bird off of its post and it's a it's it's a really fantastic scene it's like it feels like a fucking seven minute set piece of just like everyone in the bar getting hyped up for this trick shot bet and it's given so much attention you have the on the field reporter guy uh commentating it into the the soda machine like you know people are doing goofs and it's it's a it's really fun oh in terms of uh before that happens there's another type of pissing contest that i really love this scene because it's an early like riff between um cheech and uh costner mm-hmm. it's where he's like he's breaking all of his fucking oh, clubs yeah. on that uh, scene is torturous like it's yeah it's heavy there are a lot of that i mean like we'll get to it like later there but it's like i think uh, part of what makes the movie so fun and then torturous at times is that like you're really vibing with Costner's like not giving a fuck attitude. Yeah. But at times when it's like a man just completely fucking self-sabotaging, it's, it's real brutal. No, the two sequence the scenes that you both mentioned like are kind of what I love about Costner's character. Like he feeds off of like other people's encouragement and energy like so much. Like mm-hmm. he needs that like with the Rene Russo scene, like Rene Russo, you're right, spends like fucking like two minutes like hyping up the bar, like Costner's just moping at the bar, and like <laughs> Rene Russo basically has to yell, just basically you know cucking his, uh, um, Sims in front of everyone, mm-hmm. which is pretty you know just pretty happens just kind of like 
without it you know it really you know calling attention to itself yeah that, that i mean kind of riff. I, I think yeah. when when you cuck a david sims you should do it in a matter of fact style yeah and but also like <laughs> he uh, doesn't even really care all that much <laughs> he cares a, he does care but it's like yeah. he's still like aloof prick style exactly but yeah. Uh, um but yeah or like the scene where uh costner is breaking all those clubs which is great and it kind of made me think like with golf maybe i don't watch enough golf maybe this happens but like I would love more like emotional caddy mm-hmm. golfer like yeah. con- like just them fighting on on the golf carts over like what club to take and just yeah like, I mean seeing yeah. those negotiations sometimes is great like I, I I love hearing golfers and caddies talk about club selection and stuff when, when they show you that on TV coverage but it never really gets that heated from my <laughs> but, you know people fire you know t- people fire their caddies and their trainers and stuff like that because of disputes like that but like on course uh. I don't. I'm sure it's happened. Yeah, I haven't seen anything. But like not that, often. But yeah, okay, yeah, it's it's a respectable game. You know? <laughs> but the scene we're describing in one of these qualifiers, yeah, Costner he has a dispute with whether to you know lay up or uh, take out the big ball club and uh, you know just nut up and smash it. And this is something that happens in both movies like five times. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it, according to these screenwriters, the only kind of dispute that golfers can have uh, <laughs> is on short par fives, whether or not they're going to try to reach in two or three. But this dispute leads to uh, Cheech Marin breaking one of the clubs or two of the clubs over his knee and then Costner breaking the rest other than one and finishing out the rest of uh the the round with just one club just to show how big dicked he truly is (laughs) and the other meltdown comes at the u.s open this beautiful you know it's like 40 minute third act at the u.s open uh love a good huge 40 minute sports movie finale uh and he he can win it you know he's he's killing it 71 holes in just fucking destroying it and uh renee russo is like hey nut up just hit just go for it smash this thing that you've hit in the water each of the last three days and he does it and then he just has this terrible mental breakdown where he's like in this loop where he has to keep hitting it from the same spot and he just keeps hitting it into the water give me another ball take a drop roy roy just give me another ball roy just take your drop and then he eventually makes this miracle shot and it's like the nicest looking seven bo- seven times bogey that anyone's ever seen like a 13 or whatever that he hits in and it's it's such a bittersweet finale because you just see this guy give away this championship and have a mental breakdown live on television and you know he came all this way you know for not for nothing but for a fucking meltdown but he still gets the girl. <laughs> and I have to say that bittersweet balance made the ending emotionally beautiful for me. I thought the ending sang like an old Hollywood movie. It was it was quite beautiful uh, because then, uh, you know, you don't just end there with him getting the girl. You actually do end on him fucking her. <laughs> you get, a, get a nice uh, get a nice one on top of the other end scene. Doesn't that happen in Bull Durham too? Or maybe close to the end of Bull Durham. I feel like uh, it, yeah. yeah. Um, Ron Shelton knows what's up. He wants to get his nut in. <laughs> uh, no, de- like this this uh, ending scenes uh, put it over the top for me, definitely. To where like, you know, he does like fuck up mentally, but it's like it's such a it's 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 freaking epic, dude. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's I mean, it's it's that's what 
I don't know. It's like that's what's like fun about sports. Of course, you know, there's the championships, the rings. You could be LeBron and chase rings. No, nah, I'm just I'm, I'm getting into LeBron hate, even Come though on, I don't man. hate him. I just I, <laughs> Mickey's got to go. Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, the China. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great if Trump put out a uh, insult. Yeah. <laughs> first tweet back on from <laughs> back back on Twitter for Trump. First what? The China is ruining the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this. Um, this kind of like meltdown he has is just like I I love the the repetition of it and kind of like what's what's like frustrating about like that's like kind of almost like a, a hellscape you know scenario right for a golfer is like shooting the same shot over and over again and like continuing to like miss it and miss yeah. it and it's I, I don't know like because I, I was I, I was kind of like I want him to win you know that was my my yeah. feelings going in I want that because sp- sports movies will pull that sometimes. I mean, and I think it like where they don't have them win, and I usually want them to win, but I feel like this the the other type of satisfaction I get, you know, seeing them make this shot is almost you know, it it pays off, like it yeah. it, it deserve you know it uh, earns its non-winning ending, and, and like you said, it kind of gives it a a bittersweet taste, but it's also yeah, just I mean, he's a winner, he's you know, total alpha. Yeah, I mean that <laughs> I love the choice to have that ending because it's like I was curious as it's going through, it's like. He can't win the U.S. Open. That's <laughs> yeah. like that's too that's too big of a real yeah. thing. True. I feel like to actually like happen and still like be satisfying. But the way they make it kind of a loss there, it's just I don't know. It it, it really has him sort mm-hmm. of staying true to his character, but with a little bit of growth. Where I was like, legitimately, I don't know. I feel like these these bullshit screenwriter tricks. They normally don't fool old JT, but in this last um, like last half, I was just I was there. I was in it yeah. and really uh, on board with all of it. Uh, and Rene Russo is really great and really convincing here as like someone who's really unsure of herself, but she's sure that she has to be there for Costner. Like she knows that. Like, despite her misgivings about herself as a psychiatrist, uh, I think she sees her work there in Costner, which also makes it difficult because it's like their romantic partners and everything. And it's like, I don't know. I, I think it is like a very kind of messy movie in that regard mm-hmm. uh, on purpose. And just like, hey, hey, man, those strong feelings of love are always going to f- win out, man. Uh, <laughs> but uh, despite all of that, I think this is just a great, beautiful movie beautiful sports picture four bullets for me i'm gonna go four bullets as well and yeah i mean i just love kind of the the, the moodiness and like kind of the erratic uh, emotions of costner's character i i tend to like athletes who are like that athletes will who will have a meltdown or whatever it's entertaining it's entertaining stuff it brings dramatics to the sport yeah and like uh the, I mean, yeah, like all the golf course stuff is, you know, beautifully shot. It's, you know, being on a golf course, pretty serene. You pretty know, you, great. You got to give it to these golfers. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Shelton Shelton really hits that sports movie sweet spot for me. I feel like he's, he's really good at this. I got to check out his other stuff. But, JT, I want to hear your opinion on this movie. Um, I was originally going to go three and a half, but upon just, like, talking through it and, like, Having the the movie hasn't left my head since seeing it. I'm bumping it up to four bullets. It has that confident, bold, big dick swagger that like I love, and uh, it's such a charming picture with like so many great performances. Looks uh, beautiful, and I don't know. We we've said all there is. It's a uh, amazing. We'll be right back on extended clip. 
the people. Well, I just gave away the U.S. Open. I mean. Oh hell, Roy, it doesn't matter. Molly, I just. Just give him a minute. One time in my life, I know the safe place to hit the layup, and I still. Myself. My whole career, my whole life on the line, and I, I just made it 12 on the last hole of the U.S. Open. That's right, you sure did, Brian. It was the greatest 12 of all time. No one's going to remember the Open five years from now, who won, who lost, but they're going to remember your 12. My God, Brian was, why, it's immortal. I am so proud of you. You got to hand it to you, Roy. You go down, you go down in flames. Right. Never mind what. Right. Well, you did like the movie, and there was a flying pig, so. <laughs> yeah, but when pigs fly. Yeah, it's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but only when pigs fly. <laughs> that, that is quite literally, like, I liked the movie when the pig was flying. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Damn. So I guess I do like uh, anime movie when pigs fly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are more of them. That seems like a thing There's that would happen. There's more anime movies where, where pigs where fly. Where there are pigs flying. Right. Maybe I, they I'll do, watch a couple up, more anime movies. I mean, they get up to some crazy shit in some anime movies. I mean, you'll, you'll enjoy them only when pigs fly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you could say that again. Welcome to Extended Clip. Welcome back to Extended Clip. Uh, it's Malcolm in the Middle. It's everyone's favorite segment. Malcolm, did you watch anything noteworthy today that you just want to serve up on a beautiful little platter for our delicate listeners who are just starving for new film recommendations i mean if they're that hungry i gotta feed them get your plate and fork out uh yeah today i watched tin cup no you said today it's supposed to be this week this week i watched i shot jesse james uh did i say today yeah no man i'm really messing up today um I mean, it's hey, it's fun. it's it's good podcast fodder, you know. <laughs> but uh, I shot Jesse James, and no, I didn't do it. I watched the movie directed by. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Look, that. we have to be careful about what we say on the podcast. Yeah, you, know, you always have to watch your back. <laughs> That's true, man. I mean, you know, you don't want to get a libel suit. You don't want to get the FBI knocking down on the door. The the post office just opened up a fucking branch. You know, searching the internet for. Uh, death threats i'm guessing i don't know that's that's death real threats against the post office no just like internet language in general so why is the post office in charge of that the post office sucks why is yeah. everyone like save the post office <laughs> are you off my mailman <laughs> Nah, it's amazon or die yeah. that's what this podcast is all about <laughs> why do you love your mailman some fucking creep in a pit helmet coming to your door every day <laughs> yeah thanks for the bills <laughs> Fuck the post office. Fuck the post uh, office. I shot Jesse James, directed by Samuel Fuller. I think it's his debut, right? Uh-huh. And uh, I mean, this is just pure Fuller style, you know, straight out the gate. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much intensity to this movie. I mean, just in the you know the visual style itself, like these these close ups that Fuller uh, uses are just so they're so fucking affecting. Like m- more so than um, a lot of other people's use of close ups. And there's just a lot of just um i just i just love this narrative of bob ford kind of dealing with uh him murdering jesse james so he could marry his girlfriend that's kind of the plot of the movie and uh just seeing him deal with this emotional strife especially when um he strikes a deal with the local show organizer that he's like i'm going to recreate me shooting my best friend for people to see and like when he tr- tries to do uh tries to do the deed you know, there's this great shot of him like about to do it, but then him remembering what happened. And it's like these images are like uh, layered on top of each other. And it's it was totally unexpected. And it's just I don't know, like um, 
I mean, I've, and like, there's just some fight scenes too, where it's like, I, I've, I've maintained this opinion and I might need to do some film history research, research, research. <laughs> um, Fuller might be the best at like shooting action and fights before like martial arts movies became prim- it, prominent. You could be very right about that. Honestly, like yeah. I, there's, I'm trying to think so many examples. Yeah. Like, like park wrote the park row fight is mm-hmm. like one that's like, obviously like choreographed to like a fucking T and it's like that amazing, like one shot through like the newspaper, uh, row. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I've watched too many Fuller movies. The titles get mixed up in my head, but yeah, uh, his his movies kind of have like this action movie feel to it that I you know I really like it when those shades kind of come out. Yeah, because it's like action movie wasn't one of the classic Hollywood genres. Exactly, like, there were crime mm-hmm. movies and you know uh, suspense movies and stuff like that. But it's not like you built it around action. But Sam Fuller seemed to do that with his crime movies, with his westerns, uh, etc. And uh, yeah, I mean, hey. Uh, shout out Sam Fuller. What a legend. Yeah. Also, just one more <laughs> comment on this movie. It is like I, I need to watch more of his Westerns. But I mean, this one just just feels like a crime movie just set yeah. in a Western <laughs> hemisphere, which I thought was you know funny. I'm like, Fuller can't help himself. Yeah. No, even yeah. 40 Guns. I mean, when he's really leaning into the Cheriscuro stuff and like the hard boiled kind of dialogue, it's like, oh, this is like a noir on a ranch. Like it's yeah. uh, it's it's pulpy, you know, it's it's punchy. It's awesome. Yeah, love Fuller. Yeah. Um, JT, what about you? Recently, I watched uh, Fassbender's World on a Wire. Um, Going real sci-fi mode. I was, um, I'm reading a book by Philip K. Dick, and uh, I was I was in that mindset, and uh, I, I wanted to, to get Dick down in film uh, as well. I bet well. you did. I bet you did. <laughs> and who did I turn... <laughs> Who who could I turn to but Fassbender for that? And uh, I mean, honestly, I think it matched like the tone of a Dick novel in a really interesting way where it's like a lot of I mean, the basic the skinny of this movie, it's about a like research scientist, Fred Stiller, who um, he takes the place of a man who. Uh, died was potentially murdered the only person who would know uh, about what happened to him like uh, was just completely fucking disappeared and you ultimately find out like what they're working what these scientists are working on is this world that's a simulation of the real world that you can like tap into it is like kind of like the matrix I mean it's a pretty obvious comparison to make but like it's they build a little matrix world to predict the future where it's like you can plug in things and be like, oh, what will will this happen in our world? Yeah. Kind of. And he starts to become like exceedingly paranoid that like he is in a simulation himself. And it's really fun. And I think relating it to Philip K. Dick's work, it has that sort of like. I don't know, waxing poetic about the nature of existence and stuff like that, but also has a really pulpy, fun feel to it. Um, the way Fassbender's camera sort of glides around um, throughout all of it, and then at points is just like placed really far away. It's sort of like looming over and like watching. And there are points where he'll do like many different zooms of like characters' faces who are in the background. So it really has that like paranoid unease of like everyone is watching you, like what is actually going on. 
to get to more of the pulpy aspects of it, there's some, I don't know, interesting, like, funny bits where um, the main character is, like, talking to a woman and then in that scene, like, a woman on the street and asking her for a light. And in the beginning of the scene, you see in a wide, there is, like, a um, big pile of bricks being, like, craned above, like, over them. And it's like, okay, it's like you you have the looming suspicion that someone's trying to drop the bricks on him. But it, it doesn't uh, drop on him. It drops on this woman who refused to give him a light for his cigarette. And then while the bricks fall on her, like all her stuff spills out and a lighter pops out and he just takes the lighter (laughs) from her dead body and lights his cigarette. And that's that's fucking awesome. And uh, it's just, I don't know, a really fascinating look at paranoia. I mean, it's beautiful. I don't know. I want to check out more Fassbender stuff. And this seemed like the most compatible with my sensibilities. And just like, I love the way... um, it investigates uh, paranoia. I mean, also through the relationships that happen with the characters because um, he becomes exceeding, the main character is like exceedingly concerned that someone around him is sort of the um, relay between his world and the si- like the world controlling the simulation that he lives in. And uh, for being like a really low budget, like sci-fi thing, um, it does that really well, and it's, uh, I don't know, good time at the movies. Damn, I need to check it out. Monty Hellman died uh, two days ago now, and, or I guess now, you know, five days ago, whenever you're listening to this. He was one of the, the, the realest dudes to get behind a camera in terms of the American cinema post the collapse of Hollywood. When you think about, like, the individual... Uh, journeys of the auteurs and the guys who kind of got left in the dust while some of the more commercial friendly guys had 50 year careers of studio movies uh the first one you kind of think of is monty hellman he kind of had that same track uh through exploitation movies through corman even uh of coming up you know he made a couple low budget movies with jack nicholson uh that jack nicholson co-wrote with him and you know uh some really great early westerns of his that lead up to two-lane blacktop and cockfighter and you know just these incredible movies with warren oates and um a couple days before he passed away i actually got a chance to watch china nine liberty 37 this is one that I had uh, just on the watch list for a long time. Like many of Hellman's films, it's unfortunately not available in the best quality. But it is a really beautiful film, and it's it's one of his most like romantic films, kind of in in a strange way. You know, he he shows a lot of outsider characters who he's not afraid to show the dark sides of in all of his movies. But in this one. It's it's such a it's such a romantic movie here as we we see the lead here uh you know it, instead of Warren Oates being the cool guy Warren Oates is the guy who we have to watch you know try not to die uh, Fabio Testi uh the the swarthy handsome Italian man who is sent to kill him uh, also takes an interest in his lady and so it's this love triangle bounty kill western uh, from 1978 where everything is at half speed 
and people just kind of daze in and out of the frame and Hellman kind of moves the camera along very lazily into these very just absolutely perfect compositions. Um, I already want to watch it again and it's it's a really beautiful movie and if you haven't seen any Monty Hellman, you know, check out this one, check out Tulane Blacktop and uh, check out Cockfighter. Yeah. I'm, I'm Malcolm Kramer, and welcome to my world. You need to get in the game. Go out of business and he's nuts. They're nuts. They know nothing. They're going to throw promising young woman best screenplay. I want to say that sounds smart. Okay. That, that sounds that, smart. That, money. That's smart money right there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think we're back on Malcolm in the middle or sorry. Uh, I think we're back on extended clip with an edition of money Malcolm. Yeah. So what, what what are we looking at tonight as we as we backslide back into the Oscar gambling? Well, I mean, let's yeah, let's get into the Oscar thing first, JT. Let's so you you were saying Nomadland Best Picture, PYW for Best Screenplay. Um, Those are my two. Yeah. I, I think the, I feel the most confident in. I'm not sure if I'm going to put money down on there because it's like I think in my mind it's like. Oh, that's a good sound. Uh, Money <laughs> Malcolm is brought to you by the bubbles of Cactus Cooler. <laughs> you have to keep in mind the delicate balance of the Oscar voters' feeble brain, mm-hmm. where it's like they're going for the bait, of course, yes, but they're also trying to swing progressive. Yeah. So it's like a delicate line between, like, I don't know, that like very outdated Oscar bait sensibility where I feel like... Uh, trial of chicago seven yeah could could play but i just feel like since it's a netflix thing that's probably like there's politics there. yeah there's you politics have to consider there. the politics no that's i mean was it like what's that drummer movie sound of metal best sound editing lock that Go okay. yeah that yeah down. you gotta lock hammer that, that you gotta lock that uh, yeah maybe what is you want to just run through them you want to just make this the real quick oscar speed run off the top let's off go the yeah. Dome. yeah let's do it just fucking because i haven't even looked at these fucking noms but i'm doing it now and no no movie love this is pure out of pure gambling yeah, this, this, this is, is pure, <laughs> pure gambling we don't have the odds in front of us but what i'm gonna do is we we're the odds makers here and i think we are kind of halfway stealing a segment from a deceased podcast podcast of our friend but i think he would be okay with it <laughs> actor in the leading role riz ahmed in sound of metal chadwick boseman in ma Ooh. rainey's black bottom do i even need to keep reading that's kind of, that that's a, that's a tempting hammer there's three mm. other guys hopkins old man and steven yoon all three of them you know there's a case to be made other than steven yoon i guess because Hopkins and Old Man are just like two uh, mainstays, kind of. True. Mm-hmm. It seems but like wall like, dressing, though. It seems yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're just kind of throwing them there to throw them there, right? Yeah, yeah. Supporting role. Uh, Borat in The Trial of Chicago 7. <laughs> Daniel Kaluuya in uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Leslie Odom Jr. in One Night in Miami. Paul Racy in Sound of Metal. Who is I have that? I was gonna say <laughs> no who is this that? one's hard because I don't really have a gauge on in Lizzie yeah. Stanfield in uh Judas and the Black right. Messiah as well. So I haven't seen any of these movies. I bet someone from Judas and the Black Messiah gets it. And That's what maybe, I'm gonna say. And maybe if you've seen the movie, maybe you could make the more intelligent pick there. Because I don't know, it seems like I don't know, like you said, like the Oscars, it's an ideological game and they wanna I think they want to give everyone a piece. You know what I mean? I forgot to say what the movies were for actor in a leading role. I've never heard of The Father. 
Yeah. What is the father? Wasn't there like a Glenn Close Oscar movie last year called like The Wife or yeah. something that like was, that? I think that was two years ago, wasn't it? Maybe. I don't know. Very low energy. Very low energy type <laughs> Oscar bait. Just kind of uninspired shit at get, this point. Yeah. Get our people on stage. Get, you know? Bring me back fucking imitation or what is it? The oh, imitation not the imitation. <laughs> no, no, dude. <laughs> no, I saw yeah, the imitation. <laughs> I saw the imitation game with a girl at uh, like a, a second run theater. Oh, yeah. And it was it was terrible. It was just. You like, make the moves on her? <laughs> are you asking whether or not i made out with a girl during the imitation game yeah. the second run screening the answer is yes Hell uh, yeah. sounds like a good screening a to me role viola davis viola davis i don't know why i tripped up on that <laughs> in ma rainey uh so ma rainey is taken home that seems to be all over the place i thought that was like a netflix dump honestly but it's Den- denzel or denzel's in that i don't know no, I don't think he directed it. Never mind. I was going to say, I was going to say, I was like, this we know so little about these movies. <laughs> any, of, any of this. Uh, okay, so there's that. Actress in a leading role, yeah. Uh, Is the promising Andra young Day, woman up there? Yeah, but she's the fifth one. Yeah, Carrie Mulligan's. Mulligan, that's a golf term. Back to this episode. So when you, when you, when you strike the ball and you don't like your result, you can just throw the ball down and say, hey, I'm taking a mulligan. And if your people you're playing with are okay with it, they're okay with it. So I think the Oscars this year should take a Carrie Mulligans and just say, doing it again next year. <laughs> oh, I had a thought recently. Sorry, I'm sorry. Who the fuck is Andra Day? What movie is the United States versus Billie Holiday? Who the fuck? Actually, actually, I've heard of Vanessa Kirby, but what the fuck is Pieces of a Woman? I think that's, uh, all I know is Shia LaBeouf is in that movie. The dog murderer. Oh, jeez, dog murderer <laughs> Shia LaBeouf, actress in a supporting role. Oh yeah, so who who's the who's the pick to win? The the, the woman, right? Um, I'm not gonna say that. I, For I think actress it, in a leading girl, you're not gonna take the woman. The promising young. <laughs> I'm not gonna take the promising young it's woman. Gotta be one of these because I think the leading role stuff is like legacy picks. Usually, okay. they give it to someone who deserves it. Frankie or- McDormand. Oh, I think that's... She did go pee-pee and poo-poo in the first yeah. 15 minutes. You know minutes. what? You might be right. Screener viewers will keep that in mind. Plus, there's like the thing. It's like, oh, she's working with non-professional actors. Yeah, she's slumming it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, slumming it in the Amazon exact, warehouse. Exactly. No, I think... I think. All right, hammer that. And let's let's um, let's speed it up here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not oh, gonna keep going. I have these. I let's, have one I'm so sorry, thing guys. that I do want to pitch. Yeah, I had this thought today, and it's like, well, maybe not the Oscars. Maybe it's some like some industrious types start like a a, a good awards ceremony. It's you get rid of the Oscar, you get the Golden Gear. You get. I was just really. It's just changing the Oscars statue to the Richard Gear, Doctor T, and the women pose. Is what I was thinking. Yeah, I like that a lot. And then the the supporting uh, best supporting actress role is called the And the Woman Award. Yes, And the Women Award. I think we need to do our own little award show. Uh, I think that is a great idea, and I think our Oscar. The Oscar sub segment of Money Malcolm <laughs> is over. Um, my or sorry, Best Picture. Here's my hot take. All right, I feel like Nomadland is probably the favorite. I don't know. I guess I haven't been tapped in enough to where where these all rank. But I feel like Mank. If you're looking at some betting sites, might be the underdog there. That's and true. If Mank's the if Mank if you get Mank for good money, I say take it. Hammer Mank. Okay. They do love movies about loving movies. I feel like they want to give Mank something. You know what? I, I agree with you. I, I totally agree with you. Um, 
on to the normal segment of Money Malcolm. Uh, yeah, back I, to sports talk, finally. Yeah, back to sports talk. The reason why you listen to extended sports talk. Steph Curry's been on... Steph Curry's been on a fucking tear lately, setting all kinds of records. Probably the best shooting streak of all time. Put the uh, over 6.5 three-pointers made today. He went two for 14 from beyond the line. Steph... Buddy, what happened? He's telling his teammates step it up. He's like, I can't do this all, you know, every fucking yeah. day. And I have the the Nugs winning over the Blazers, and it's a close game right now. So we'll see what happens with that later. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I had a small money parlay on like Bulls, Warriors, and Nets, and I think they all lost today. So oh well for me. But uh, yeah, I think I saw the Bulls had twelve points in the first quarter. That's not good. But. Uh, what has been successful for me is betting on the Oakland Athletics, a baseball team. I haven't really talked baseball betting, and I don't really understand it. So I, I just go money line. I just pick who's going to win or lose. A's have won 11 straight, and it's like there's some talent involved. It's a good team for sure, but they got they got a little bit of luck on their side. They won this game. They won today's game off of two errors in the 10th inning. They didn't even get a hit, and they came back from two runs. So. There's obviously a, you know, a little something on their side there. So I'm going to keep betting on the A's. I'm going to keep riding that wave. Um, like in Tin Cup, I think he says something to the effect of, like, you got to ride the wave until it crashes. That's what I'm going to do. Hammer on the A's. Damn. Um, to wrap up Money Malcolm here, I'm going to just read from one of the great sports report. You know, on the on the Patreon, we did a little Money Malcolm, and we reached our hands out to Zach Lowe, asking him to come on the podcast. And I think there's been someone who's fallen from grace a little bit in that circle. You might remember Jason Whitlock's term on ESPN. He was on there for a few years, and, you know, then he got a Fox Sports contract, and it was like him and Skip, and that was a real fucking weird show. And uh, Or were they on a show together? Or do they just share a lot of airtime? I don't I know. Don't But he's really gone downhill, and I just want to read a tweet he posted a couple hours ago. LeBron James, like other elites, is using racial division as a distraction as elites reshape America to be more like communist China. Elites prefer communism. Millionaire elites are protected by communism. They're the talented 10th W.E.B. Dubois promoted. You are being played. And then I think I, I like looked into that tweet and like he explained he's like no like the reference to Dubois is like a negative thing or like you know what I mean like, <laughs> I'm referenced that in a negative way yeah it's kind of I don't know he seems like a true and true conservative type guy because it's like Skip I don't know he's just he's kind of just doing a shtick where like Whitlock is like he seems to get in trouble for this stuff kind of off but yeah, hey no, like Whitlock- I do hey La China though I do agree <laughs> yeah. La China Le Mao Zedong <laughs> needs to get back off the fucking bench and help the Lakers win I'm gonna keep calling him these things until he gets healthy again <laughs> um regardless we're back on extended clip if you hate sports I'm sorry for the last 10 minutes <laughs> I mean I mean this is a, this is a sports heavy episode this yeah. is like I, I think I said this off mic but I think we've done, you know, we said before this is an indie wire podcast, and that's still true. But uh, I think we are kind of trending towards that bar stool, yeah. sweet spot. You know what I mean? I'm trying to. I mean, who would you rather suck up to, Eric Cohn or Dave? Dave Barstool. I saw. <laughs> hey, I Dave Dave, Dave Barstool. Barstool. <laughs> well, you know, to be, to be fair, like all their employees have like they call themselves like Barstool Michael. Yeah, it's or like something. ain't it cool? <laughs> yeah. yeah, ain't it cool? Squ- um, uh, squirt or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I I'm trying to appeal to the demographic of people who like classic Hollywood movies, but. 
can also like uh, unironically use like office gifts. We're trying to get that audience. <laughs> I think that audience <laughs> is the key. Once we get that audience, the Patreon the money starts rolling. Two hundred dollars <laughs> to four hundred dollars. Like this is a cynical ploy. Yeah, <laughs> this is not a yeah. But, we uh, don't like sports or classic Hollywood. We just <laughs> <laughs> just throwing shit to the wall, see what sticks. We like developing websites and apps for content. That is what I like: <laughs> developing websites and apps for content. this week dead solid perfect this is a 1988 uh b movie by oh my god my notebook just sealed itself <laughs> shut something rock bobby roth bobby roth bobby roth bobby roth what do you do and you're working with future hall of famer cinematographer peter deming working as the camera operator oh, i didn't know deming <laughs> he was he, he wasn't the cinematographer oh, okay. he was the camera operator you know early in his career but just thought i'd point this out it's a very beautiful movie despite like the vhs quality it shines there's some really fucking nice shots in this no it, it does shine but also like i feel like and this is like it's probably due to the transfer a little bit as I, as much as i thought this movie was generally pleasant like it did sometimes zone out a little bit there no, was a, there was there was a little bit of zone out for sure oh this is an absolutely a programmer a specialty film this is for selected audiences only <laughs> <laughs> it's a curio it's much more of a golf core movie than tin cup mm-hmm. but there's something a little off about it and that's the score by tangerine dream that i think brings it into the realm of the curio as you said the dissonance of the Tangerine Dream score and the conservatism of the golf course and Jack Warden's parodic uh, display as a bigoted conservative. Say hello to my ethnic, Walter. Walter's been with my family ever since my daddy hit oil. Ain't that right, Walter? Yes, sir, Mr. Wimbley. <laughs> Call me Mr. Wimbley like that. Old-time ethnics. Those that makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which pretty funny i don't yeah. know it's, just it's, it's classic jack warden being an old crank type thing and that's like it's like kind of it's very 80s too and this is like a very 80s device and it's like i mean who's to say how effective it is but like a lot of like 80s comedies will have like the like it'll bring up like racism through like these racist characters who are obviously kind of over the top and like there's kind of a mockery of them of how racist they are but also it's kind of like I like how it just kind of brings up, like, it addresses kind of like the conservative culture of golf, but at the end of the day, it's like, eh, whatever. Yeah, it's <laughs> so funny. It brings it up and never challenges it or does anything meaningful. But it does with bring it. it up, like, quite a bit, which yeah. is, I guess, it does it more than, I guess, maybe Tin Cup does, not to get political or anything like that, but it is, it's funny how much it brings it up and doesn't really do anything with it besides, well, I, I think, guess, jokes. I think with Tin Cup, um, there's also, in terms of the political, if you want to go there, there is the, the class ascension thing that we talked about with the fairly mm, brothers movies and charlie chaplin where it's like um 
Ron Shelton is committed to that working class professional athlete You're life right. between minor league baseball and a, uh, a, a golf pro working at a driving range. But here we still see that class differential between the tour pros who are killing it on TV coverage and with sponsors and someone like our main character here, Kenny Lee, played by Dennis Quaid. Randy, right? Randy Quaid. I will never get that right. Um, <laughs> this movie is about the life and times of Kenny Lee. He's a PGA player who is struggling to stay on the tour and struggling to keep his marriage afloat. Classic. Yeah. Uh, and who's he married to? But the lady from uh, Modern Romance. Forgot her name already. Oh, you know, I think you mentioned this when you picked it for the podcast and it, you know, it slipped my mind and I like the whole movie. I'm like, I feel like I've seen her somewhere, but... Well, I guess she's I guess doing a uh, she's doing a, a deep fried Texan accent in this movie <laughs> compared to her very, you know, uh, upper class, whatever, uh, you know, not really California accent, whatever she's speaking with in modern romance. Catherine Harold is her name. Uh, very good in this movie. Very good in modern romance, of course. Um so he wants to keep his, you know, marriage afloat and he runs into Jack Warden, aka Bad Hair Wimberly, a racist old man who buys people to, you know, really reignite the the feelings of the old south. Uh he likes to buy people to like sponsor them exclusively rather than running them through corporations. Uh so he bans with um or sorry, so Kenny Lee bands with this guy and his caddy named Speck, and uh, the he eventually romances a nice uh, young maybe teenage girl after his wife leaves him, <laughs> and uh, we just kind of see him playing through the tour leading up to the U.S. Open, another movie about a Texas golf pro going to the U.S. Open and getting the girl. And, uh, yeah, it's, like, fairly standard procedure. To me, it was quite pleasant, but I understand how it's, it's like, a very base-level pleasant for me, you know? Yeah, maybe just the 4-3 format, the VHS buzz, and just kind of, like, there's kind of, like, a somewhat leisurely, pay, or just, like, a lot of golf play in this movie, which kind of, I don't know, maybe not leisurely is not the right word, but, like, word, but, like, it's not exactly the highest stakes. And so it's, like, I guess that does contribute to... This, you know kind of me just fading out treating it more like a, a tv show in my mind but it's like no yeah there are like like especially when both of these movies tin cup and uh was it dead solid perfect when they when they they go wide and they really like show off the golf course like the visually this movie impresses me the most when yeah you just get like these huge like uh portraits of like these landscapes and i guess i guess it's like the tangerine dream score is a little dissonant but it, it makes sense when he's he's rolling up to the golf club and the yeah. you know, sun's sun's coming through his convertible or whatever yeah i mean it's very yeah. cool 80s guy kind of thing <laughs> yeah. like uh in a in a in a kind of televisual way in a miami vice tv mm -hmm. series way where it's like it's televisual but it's like pulling out all the stops you know it's it's trying to make it cool still just hearing the line dead solid perfect went through like yeah. i don't know that was stuck through my head the whole damn movie <laughs> but like I, I don't know i definitely am more on the side with malcolm where there is a lot of zone out here mm. for me but it was overall pleasant like i think the golf stuff was honestly the strongest and when i was the most intrigued because yeah. i thought like the cinematography was the best at those moments and i think that like I like Quaid, like, fucking around. 
uh, with a young girl. That's like funny and like seeing him like party and live it up. But a lot of the wife drama, this is like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know, classic nagging wife problem of the nagging. Well, she's not even really that much of a, a nagging wife. Just there's a really weird turn where she has like, like, is it cancer? She has like a medical problem yeah, there. That was very strange. <laughs> At the end, which and just like in general, it's like they seem to like fucking hate each other yeah that's what i kind of liked about it almost like toward the end when they're Mm. back because i was surprised that it ends with them getting back together after to spoil everything he wins the u.s open and gets his wife back uh which is fucking sick uh wish i could do that yeah Uh, i mean it's bizarre and i think that like because it seems like they were broken up for good a lot of what lends this movie to being interesting to me is a lot of it is bizarre in that realm where it's like the racism stuff where it's like brings it up just sort of leaves it in the air like the wife plot is like Mm -hmm. weirdly aimless like i don't know it's stuff that at first is like okay this is fun to feel this out but it doesn't go anywhere with it yeah i would just wind up getting like i don't know distracted from it there's like a good amount of stuff where i'd say like it feels like people are kind of going through the motions a little bit i mean i think quaid's really solid here and like oh yeah he's a he's a good choice for like kind of like a frumpy looking kind of like on the edge kind of golfer i feel like that's really good cat i feel like warden is kind of underused here or something like that or he's just kind of on the sidelines kind of just commenting on the game which i guess that's a common thing in a lot of golf movies but yeah i don't know it's like the racism stuff it could be like funny here and there a little bit at the same time it it kind of crosses that threshold right with like these dinner table sequences where it's obviously like critiquing it to an extent or saying at the very least these characters are wrong but it's like yeah i guess it's i guess it's just kind of funny how it uh it never really resolves itself and i guess it you know or it's like it it doesn't like it doesn't have to resolve it it's something that like it seems like it's on the movie's mind and then it's like all right let's get to the golf stuff let's get into the swing Mm -hmm. of the tournament like that's just kind of because there are like some some moments where it's it's like you know he could be like skeezing out in the clubhouse you know with the, the boys a little bit but it's more focused on kind of like yeah marital drama which isn't the strongest yeah I, I think the Merrill drama stuff, yeah, it does it doesn't really work that well. I think it's it's just an interesting note that the the happy ending kinda implies that they're gonna just go back to having a really difficult marriage. <laughs> and like there's even a part where, yeah, her friend is just like yeah, it's called, you know, uh, working out your marriage, you know? It's like, I, I, I don't know. It was weird in that regard, but I think the, the golf coverage is incredible. It kind of floats in and out of replicating the TV style and, you know, making it more cinematic, you know, insert shots of, like, the tea uh, getting swept, swept out from under the ball and stuff like that. And uh, so some really great, like, dramatic buildup to certain shots and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's... On the whole, it being a TV movie is incredibly obvious, other yeah. than the fact that it's like it's on one of the movie channels where they can cuss. You know? True. <laughs> and show breasts. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. That, I mean, man, I love the I love the icebox scene. I'm like, now now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty goofy where it's yeah. like, yeah, he's having sex with the young girl and she just like runs out in the hotel to get ice while she's naked and it's like 
this is a little much maybe, but I yeah. liked it. It was like a pl- lighthearted and pleasant, but I feel like whenever Quaid is doing the lighthearted and pleasant thing, it's like really strange to me, kind of yeah. like he just, he's kind of a weird sweaty guy. No, yeah, he's not, he's not a, he's not a hot dude. And it's, yeah, he's yeah, not very attractive. I think <laughs> that's mo- what it is. And most times you see. His you romantic partners are like much more attractive than he is. Yeah. And he's just kind of frumpy as one of you said I mean, you know, people critique like, you know, like uh, Kevin. And James and like his his work like oh why does he always have to have a hot wife at least he's not showing himself you know fucking shirt off trying to ram her you know you know he's he's he's, he's got limits he knows what people want to see and don't want to see I think it's more that <laughs> I would love to see a king of queens I mean, episode oh. like that personally I think it's more that Kevin James is romantically charming in a in a in a TV or movie True. way he's sweet he's sweet yeah it's like they're they're like Adam Sand they're like I mean some people think he is very attractive but that's a classic complaint levied against him too and it's like that's not what it's about it's about the the chemistry between actors you know yeah. and here it's just like with both partners as i said yeah it seems like he's been fighting with his wife since before they met and this young girl who just likes fucking him for whatever reason i don't get it at all but i love how secondary it is yeah. to the golf like this is such a fucking golfer's movie uh and i think that's why i still come out positive on it mm-hmm. even if not by that much like i we might as well wrap there's it really isn't yeah. that much to talk about <laughs> in this movie i'm gonna go three bullets on this one i think it's an overall good movie i don't think it's oozing its style i think it has style that comes and goes and i think a lot of what i find interesting about it is kind of post-textual me comparing Comparing it to how I watch golf on TV versus how I watch sports movies and stuff like that. And uh, as we said, both of these main relationships are very just don't work at all. But as like a buddy comedy thing with his caddy and Jack Warden, (laughs) I I like that. And that's fun. Uh, So, yeah, three bullets. I'm going to go two and a half bullets. Yeah, if, you know, this movie does suffer from uh, the Bagger Vance addendum, a new screenwriting role I've I've, uh, created, you know. I know you want to be show you're not racist in a golf movie and have a black caddy, but it's like it doesn't quite get off the message that you you know you think you're getting off. But also, I just mostly just bring that up because I wanted to make up the Bagger Vance addendum. And, uh, yeah, that is a good one. Uh, yeah. It also makes me think maybe for the B movie we should have done Who's Your Caddy instead Ooh. of this. <laughs> Fuck, we really should have. Um, I'll just There's watch that on my own leisure. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I think I think I've you know once. His wife is out of the picture. I'm thinking, like, maybe is this like, is he just gonna sleaze out? Is like, are we just gonna see Quaid kind of like slink from like course to course, just being like a honky tonk hero, yeah, or something like that? And you know, didn't quite go that way. Kind of goes for the I love my wife, she has cancer type route. And uh, yeah, why'd she have to get cancer? <laughs> yeah, so and it was like a 30 second scene where she's just like, yeah, they said it was a tumor, and uh, then he just like flies to her overnight during the tournament flies back and it's just like and then she comes right back and watches the end of the tournament there it's like they just let her out of the hospital real I guess. benign tumor yeah real benign <laughs> i guess so yeah i guess i, I was lying yeah i think well we know how these things go yeah. but uh <laughs> um but yeah i think somewhat boring but somewhat pleasant i'm not i'm not too unhappy i watched i'll watch you know i kind of we've, we've kind of with crackers an early episode kind of a, a kind of slept on Jack Warden role. I think I kind of want to collect all these kind of Jack <laughs> Warden roles where he just kind of gets to play the cool old guy. That yeah. All and the this is better than crackers. With. Oh yeah. yeah, for sure. Oh, for yeah. Sure. Sure. oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. I hope that one day we cover every Jack Warden role on this pod. <laughs>
Let's get to it. Yeah, I'm also giving this a gentleman's two and a half. <laughs> Not a good movie, but a pleasant time for me. And like also just really fucking strange in that respect. I think one little beat we didn't like talk about it's the reason why Quaid leaves uh, his his sweet young thing is uh, because he like sees a videotape <laughs> of uh, of her like getting like nailed on uh, the golf course cider house rules type <laughs> vibes yeah with one of the other golfers which is just like I mean like he's at this point still married and is cheating on his <laughs> wife so I don't know why it's that it, big you know what it kind of I thought he was just kind of like he's like all right I'm just gonna cut my losses and go like you know what I mean like it does have like that scene after that where he's like you know complaining towards her but like his reaction on the video he's like all right I gotta get out of here but, yeah. I thought, I thought that's, but uh yeah Pretty, uh, pretty. You know, I, I wouldn't expect that to happen at the U.S. Open. You know, <laughs> something. You know, peeking behind the 16th hole. There's someone getting some action. That's cr- hey, maybe more people tune yeah, into the, the golf 17th match. 17th hole over there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's just it's weird and funny in that regard. Like I think Eddie, Eddie you mentioned earlier, there's a scene where. Uh, his wife's friend is giving her advice, where it's just like you just got to live with it. And I think she's talking about like her husband cheating on her. Yeah. yeah. And it's such a funny, like, pro, just just let him cheat. (laughs) (laughs) It'll work itself out. This movie is, like, really acclaimed among uh, golf fans. I think it's just for, like, (laughs) old dudes who want to golf and cheat on their wife pretty much. (laughs) Hey, I don't blame them. Hey, man, they got salute. Just call it Polly. Just say you're in a poly relationship. Yeah, just say you're in a healthy poly relationship. The email segment, everyone's favorite Did we segment. get one? Yes, we did. Nice. At extendedclippodcast at gmail.com. The subject is debuts. What is up, Extended Clip? I was wondering if any of you had an example of a director's debut being your favorite film in their filmography. Personally, Thief by Michael Mann and The Virgin Suicides by Sofia Coppola are the only two that I can think of. I, If not, I'd be curious what debuts y'all are big fans of from G Wagon. This is an intriguing question because the actual like number one favorite off of a debut is pretty hard to figure. That that I don't know if I actually have one other than like filmmakers who kind of fell off, you know? I mean, I guess some I guess Gummo that that's one that counts even though uh Kareen wrote Kids. Yeah, it's a directorial but as a, debut. It's a directorial debut that starts out really strong and I feel like Kareen hasn't quite surpassed that yet yeah that that could be that, that's I, th- I think spring breakers is i, I like that one no spring breakers is, spring breakers is like right there for me so it's yeah. like i'm it's it, he's gotten real close uh but. ever heard of the 400 blows by francois that's, Truffaut? i mean i've i've only seen like three or four Truffaut movies but 400 blows is like it's certified oh. brick like hard yeah, as rules fun. oh my god absolutely yeah. uh what about strike by sergey eisenstein that's up there. Haven't caught it yet. Oh, haven't yeah. caught it yet. Doesn't sound like you're doing good politics. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, I was going to get more sound. uh do some politics in my room by torrenting <laughs> this, but yeah, I'll get to it. Oh, uh, Targets by Peter Bogdanovich has mm-hmm. to be, that is my favorite Bogdanovich movie that I've seen. Uh, and w- one of the best debuts I've ever seen for sure. Real Life, I feel like is, my, is oh, probably same. Albert Brooks's best movie. And yeah. if not... 
best, just the funniest. Like, it, I, so many laughs. It's not, like, my favorite Brooks, but it's definitely up there for the best debut, for sure. I think I'm just so drawn to the progression of artists and stuff like that, like the, uh, the late style and whatnot, but... There's definitely some more. Um, Thief is Thief is a good choice. Like Thief is fucking great. It's yeah. just I just like almost all of his movies better than it almost. Thief, not not really. I, I I put Thief like almost in the middle. Thief like maybe not right now is not is probably not my favorite man movie, but it has been like in past years, and mm-hmm. it probably will be in the future. So wow. Who knows? I mean, that's I, how time works. Sometimes yeah, sometimes yeah. things come full circle, and you don't even know how. <laughs> so true. Oh, uh, I mean, Killer of Sheep by Charles Burnett. Like, uh, that's one of the best movies ever, pretty much. Um, Rebels of the Neon God. Is, you know what? I I shouldn't bring that up because it's not even close no. to being my. I'm just now. I'm just scrolling through the, like <laughs> just the movies, and I'm like, oh, that's a really good one. But it has to be my favorite. It has to be my favorite. Oh, I would say My Bodyguard is definitely my favorite Tony Bill movie. <laughs> not not many Tony Bill auteurists out there, but My Bodyguard is one of my favorite movies. And as as sure as assured a directorial debut as you can get, really. Is is they they live by night is not Nicholas Ray's first movie, right? It is. It is that. All right, yeah, that one. I'll, I'll go. They live by night. Yeah, and that's also, that's that's up there. Yeah, I and like with Ray, I I could like Johnny Guitar's right up. Like it's almost a tie for me mm-hmm. with some of his movies, but um, I feel like They Live by Night is a movie I just keep. It's 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 entering like the canon of like a movie I wa- rewatch at least once per year. Like Damn. it's just amazing. Um, you know what I actually might say? Neil Jordan, a really interesting filmmaker. Mona Lisa is right up there, but his first film, Angel, is like super crazy and more stylistic maybe than anything he ever made. Uh, it's definitely up there for me. Also, Amy Heckerling, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I mean, that's one of the best movies. What a fucking debut. Uh, I mean, a lot of people prefer Clueless, but I I think I'm a I'm a Fast Times guy. Is the Bellboy Lewis's first movie? That is, yeah. At, at the moment, I think Bellboy is still my favorite Lewis. Wow. I feel like that's all. That's all I. Got yeah, I really haven't. List. I haven't uh, found a single one. I I would agree with you for Albert Brooks in real life being my favorite, but it's just. Damn, I just I love to to watch my uh, yeah my favorite directors grow and develop. I think that like it's very rare that you'll just hit it out of the park and then just do like good films that don't like reach that. It's I don't know with what you were saying, Eddie. It's like you if you make it a, a banger, I feel like and, and taper off. I, I'm like less interested in the work than. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I feel like with a few of mine, it's like, it's probably some ties up there, to be honest. But yeah. I just want, I just want to give the listeners some good content. Okay, I'm. I think I have one now. Ralph Bakshi. I might say, Fritz the Cat. Fritz the Cat is definitely up there in terms of my favorite. I like mm. American Pop a whole lot, but. Fritz is good. You know what I'll say? Actually, I think uh, the forty-year-old virgin is Judd Apatow's mm. best movie. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. As a director, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's not the best movie he produced, but it's his best movie as a director. You know what? I think I have another one here. Podcast favorite Noah Baumbach. I think mm. I like Kicking and Screaming. That's probably my favorite movie by him. Really? Well, we all we we know you are in favor of his. <laughs> <laughs> retroactive abortion so it's not that you're you're a big bomb back fan or anything yeah like that. i like that in greenberg 
So I like two of his movies. That's more yeah. than most directors, I'd say. I mean, there, there's a lot of guys like that where it's like the early stuff is better, honestly. Like David O. Russell, I think his best movies are his first few, probably. I yeah. heart Alcabees is early enough. Mm-hmm. That's like f- eight years into his career. Spanking the Monkey is good. You know, Flirting with Disaster is good. I had a, um, a film teacher at my school, and he like helped produce Spanking the Monkey. Oh, nice. I think, and like that was, you know, that was the big ace up his sleeve. And like... Uh, he was teaching a screenwriting class and like I don't think he's he's not a screenwriter he doesn't do much of that so he was kind of you know what I mean he was pulling from other sources but you know he was just doing what he knew and like he kept repeating the joke and I thought it was a pretty solid one he's like you know (laughs) if your movie's feeling a little stale put some incest in it like spanking the monkey and a movie that definitely no one in my class has seen besides me (laughs) so it's like they're just like what the fuck is like this weird erotic incest movie my my uh teacher made but hey man i know the truth so that that's a funny joke uh wet hot american summer probably david wayne's best movie uh i'd have to revisit some stuff but you know head of state might be the best chris rock movie i think i like it a little better than top five i need to watch his romer remake yeah uh, that's the one that's, i think we need yeah, to do that on the pod no, yeah. i mean yeah, we should that's an obvious like, clip double feature yeah. uh love in the afternoon i think i love my wife money in the bag <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. absolutely um there's definitely some other ones that we missed but whatever next week on extended clip jt has the selection what do you got for us? Um, well, it's a selection of two movies where the link is definitely not tenuous or strained <laughs> at all. Nice. I would say the the three of us were all like we're outsiders, loners. <laughs> we're kind of a band of outsiders, but it's not band of outsiders. <laughs> that's not part of that's not part of it. But I don't know. It's like we're on the fringes. For we're, sure. we're on the fringes, and like I just get thinking sometimes. It's like I, you, you hear all this socialism bullshit online. I don't and know it's about like, that. I don't know about it. <laughs> exactly. It's like working together as a collective. I love myself so much. I love individualism. You have great thing, great art like Tin Cup about the uh, the triumph of one man. It's not triumph of the will. Uh, um, <laughs> You're teasing all these classics. <laughs> um, but no, I, I constantly wrestling inside me is the spirit of the individual versus that of the collective. Mm. And so the A movie, the spirit of the individual, the individual outsider, the loner, is Francois Truffaut's The Wild Child. Ooh. Ooh. I've been wanting to see that. I am pairing it with a with from uh, what has said in the trailer it's a group of six losers pulling off a heist in uh happy new year is a film by 2014 Farrakhan with uh Shahrukh Khan awesome uh in the lead role it seems to be a crazy sleazy cartoonish heist and uh, I really wanted to bring uh, a Shah Khan movie to yeah, the pod. Yeah, I mean, the first Farrah Khan movie, speaking of fucking directorial debuts, Jesus, Mainhood Nah, that's got to be one of the best directorial debuts ever. I haven't seen her other movies, so I can't wait for this. I, 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 I can't fucking wait. <laughs> I, I also said 400 Blows was the best Truffaut movie. The only one that comes close for me is The Wild Child. So this is going to be a fucking sick double feature. No, yeah, I'm excited. You know, hope it's not another boring Hitchcock riff, Truffaut. <laughs> Cut that out. Don't need that. No need for that. <laughs> 
and uh yeah check out the patreon two dollars a month uh patreon.com slash extended clip we got a bonus episode for you every single week and last week's episode was edward yang's terrorizers this movie got us thinking i think and thinking got me drinking (laughs) we tightened up the bolts a little bit not a little less funny business we got down to the nitty-gritty on this one so we did an eight minute sports betting segment (laughs) at the end at the end at the end so if you're if you're tired of all the bullshit jokes on this show and you just want a tighter (laughs) ship stick to the movies i don't need your your laughs and your snarky remarks uh patreon's the place to go Absolutely. And if you think that the show should be more funny, more riffs, more snarky remarks, also Patreon's the place to go. Exactly. Uh, there's more of both of it, depending on who you are. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, whatever you want in the podcast, it's there's definitely more of that there. It's in the eyes and the ears <laughs> of the beholder. We'll do whatever you like. Goodbye. This is where I stand up for all the little guys everywhere who've had their fill of soulless robots like David Sims. Well, David Sims may be a soulless robot, but he's a rich, happy, soulless robot.